0: Episode 33 of the DNC Podcast, Monday edition. So pumped for today's show. Hold on. Give me a second. What? Adam Schefter just reported the newest free agent running back now that the Jacksonville Jaguars have released their former first-round pick, Fournette. There's no way, dude. Give me a second.
1: Leonard Fournette Breaking just got released. Leonard
0: Fournette. Jacksonville did all they could to trade running back, Lennon Fournette in the offseason. Yeah, bro, they released him. I can't believe that. Oh, my goodness. I knew they wanted Trevor Lawrence bad, but I don't think Fournette's keeping you from getting Lawrence. At least you can pair him in the backfield with him for, like, you know, the run game the first few years. This makes no sense. It looks like there was no – had nothing to do with off-the-field stuff. They just released him. Like, just for no reason.
1: Breaking news for the first time on the DNC podcast. Guys, this is live and hot off the press. I do not understand this. I know that they were trying to trade him, and they weren't able to do so successfully this offseason, but less than two weeks out, you're releasing, you're starting running back? This makes no sense. There's got to be more information to this. It, I know that supposedly the details right now are saying that it's just football related or contractually related, but I don't. I don't get this. This is so crazy to me. Look, bad teams, there's a reason why franchises like the Cleveland Browns or the Detroit Lions or the Jacksonville Jaguars are, are historically bad. And it's because of moves like this. Two days in a row now. Look, two days in a row, the Jacksonville Jaguars have gotten rid of two elite starters. Okay, so obviously right now we just found out Leonard Fournette gets released. He's their starting running back. He was the fourth overall pick in the 2017 NFL draft. Okay, then you have their Pro Bowl defensive end, Yannick Ngakwe, gets traded yesterday to Minnesota for draft picks for a second and a fifth. This is crazy. I don't – look, even if you're tanking for Trevor – I don't know another running back on their roster. They had TJ Yeldon, but – I don't I don't think he's but he's in Buffalo now, yeah, I think. I, I think he's in Buffalo now. They they're one hundred percent all like, in. I don't know
0: anybody on their I don't know anybody on their roster. Like he was the one guy I knew after they made the AFC championship, what, two or three years ago. Everyone was talking about Saxonville, right? They had I think this defensive well? Pro Bowl. Getting rid of Clay yeah, Campbell. They literally completely stripped their whole roster. Bro, this it's just it's dumb. Like to your point, this is why the Browns stay the Browns. Jacksonville stays Jacksonville. Like you're already paying him for this season. I don't think you get any money back cutting him now. I mean, I'd have to look into the details, but I'm pretty sure like two weeks out of the season, if you cut a guy, you're, you are, you're already responsible for a salary. And I'm pretty sure they already said they weren't going to re-sign him next year. That's why they were trying to trade him. Unless you're just trying to secure the bag and make sure there's no way you guys win a game.
1: Yeah, so it's, I'm reading right now, so head coach Doug Marone said, quote, at the end of the day, I just felt that was the best decision for us as a team. I think it gives us the best opportunity with the skill sets that we have with other players in there. I just thought that was best for the team. We exhausted all trade opportunities. We weren't able to get anything there. Okay, look.
0: I think we can go ahead and conclude right now that Doug, Man- that Doug Marone is gonna be the coach that gets fired next season. There's no way they bring him back. Like he's he's just sitting in place until they draft Trevor Lawrence. He's gonna be the Brett Brown this year. I mean, Jacksonville's not gonna make the playoffs, but how this guy still has a head coaching job baffles me. But he's he's literally just sitting there waiting because he knows he's gonna be fired after
1: this season. It, it's just stupid. I don't know how you can sit here and say you're better off with without Leonard Fournette. Like that doesn't that doesn't make any sense to me. So obviously they're all in on Trevor Lawrence. But I feel so bad for Trevor Lawrence. Because even, look, these last two moves are obvious. This is fruit that they are trying to get the number one pick in the NFL draft. But look at look at the last few moves they've made over the last three to five years, right? So they traded away Jalen Ramsey last year, who was their all-pro cornerback. But then think about, they had a year where Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns both went over 1,000 yards. They let Allen Hearns or Allen Robinson walk. He signed a huge contract with the Chicago Bears. Allen Hearns leaves. Then you have a guy like Marquise Lee. He gets hurt. I mean, I don't, I don't understand. You you drafted really, really well. But then you keep guys like Miles Jack sign him to a big contract. They're linebacker, right? So I don't get this move. Man, it, this is crazy that this is breaking right now at the time in which it broke, less than two weeks before the season. So anyway. Rest in peace to the Jacksonville Jaguars 2020 NFL season.
0: So I know we just piled on, on Jacksonville, but I want to get your thoughts on the Derwin James situation in LA. Great prospect out of Florida State, had a really good rookie season, Get searched last year, breaks his foot before the season starts, missed significant time, just came out a few days ago, tore his meniscus, same scenario, supposed to miss at least the first eight weeks of the season, but they're saying he could potentially miss more time. You look at that division this year. Obviously, Kansas City ran away with it last year, but Oakland's going to be better this year. Back-to-back, really good drafts. You look at the Broncos. In a lot of people's mind, Drew Locke is going to be the breakout quarterback star this year. They went all in on offense. And San Diego you know at least initially they're going to roll with Tyrod Taylor, and then he's probably going to be in the area next year where you would extend him off of his rookie deal. But back-to-back big injuries, I hate to label a guy brittle or, or made a glass, but you have to, at this point if you're San Diego, you have to look at it because when he's healthy, he's your second best guy on that defensive side of the ball besides Bosa. But the most important thing in sports is availability. What do you think this means for LA this season and James in the next few years once his rookie goes up?
1: Yeah, this is a massive loss for them. He's a huge playmaker on defense. The thing with Derwin James, the reason why so many people, even in his rookie year, thought this guy's going to be a future All-Pro, perennial All-Pro, was simply because his ability to impact the game from the safety position and not just be a hard hitter or a ball hawk. He reminded a lot of people of you know, had Ed Reed esque type of playmaking ability. You know, you see a guy like Jamal Adams get, you know, he's going to get paid, right? He got traded from the Jets to the Seattle Seahawks this offseason. The Seahawks are obviously going to give him a huge extension simply because they gave up a ton to acquire him. But I look at a guy like Derwin James and it's the same situation, right? He's not just a safety, he's a playmaker. His ability to find the ball and make a play is really for a guy. As a rookie, was second to none, and and to be an, a high impact player as a rookie in this league is is very hard to do, especially on the defensive side of the ball from the safety position. And so, this is a massive loss. If I'm a GM in the front office for the Los Angeles Chargers, I'm really concerned about this long term because even though he's an elite talent, if he's not on the field, it doesn't matter. So when I'm when I'm looking at the defensive personnel that I have, you, you obviously have a guy like Joey Bosa, and then you have a guy like Melvin Ingram as your pass rushers. And then you add Derwin James to that. I mean, and then also they added, they added Chris Harris Jr. this year in the off season, the Pro Bowl cornerback out of Denver. And I just go, man, this team really defensively was set up to have a lot of success this year. And not that they can't still, but losing a guy like Derwin James, I just, I don't know. This is, I really feel bad for the guy I saw somebody say something like he's the he's the Derrick Rose of the NFL, which to me is That's tough, bro. It's really sad that somebody would say would would say that. Right. But at the end of the day, if you're not on the field, what do you, even if you're an elite talent as a as a front office, if he gets hurt again? I mean, there's just no way. So we'll have to see what happens with this story in terms of Derwin James being extended. But. This doesn't look good for him, not only from a health standpoint, but contractually, because I I just don't see them. I don't see them saying, Hey, Derwin, we're going to take a chance on you and give you a huge extension. Because if you look at his talent, he's going to get paid like he's the best safety in football. Okay. So whatever Jamal Adams gets was essentially going to be what Derwin James was going to get plus X amount of money more. And now, maybe for LA, they get a bargain for Derwin James because. They're saying, hey, you're not a healthy player. We have to protect ourselves because if you're not on the field, we're not going to pay you 50 guaranteed and you're not producing. We're not getting any return on our investment. So I feel bad for the guy, but at the end of the day, this is is football. It's a contact sport. It's physical. And if you're not on the field, then you can't make the impact. So we'll see.
0: So I have to get into my pick of the day because I've been waiting for this since yesterday's Clippers-Mavs game. And I'm literally about to blow a gasket, man. The fact that people at this stage in his career, after everything that's happened, this series included, are defending Marcus Morris. I don't know what you can say. The first game where he steps on Lucas shoe. Everyone knew it was bad. Everyone knew it was intentional. It was uh, it was after a made basket for the Clippers. And so there's no reason even to walk in that direction. But you step on his heel. You want to you wanna play in the gray area. And you want to give the benefit of the doubt. All right. I get that. But he literally goes for Luka's head slash neck yesterday. One of the hardest fouls I've seen in the NBA in probably the last three to five years. He wasn't going for the ball. It was clearly a contact foul, he was trying to send a message to Luca because he feels, how dare Luca imply that I may have done a somewhat dirty play on him, and then the whole NBA world defends him. Like, you have Doc Rivers coming out immediately after the injection and go, well, you know, he played the ball and made it to his neck. Like, come on, Doc. Like, stop with the crocodile tears, bro. Like, it's BS. I get it's your team, and he's a guy on your roster, but that's just dirty basketball. It doesn't belong in the sport. Like, you got to call people out when they make a mistake. And the fact that nobody is saying anything and just saying, hey, he's a gritty guy. Like, there's a difference between gritty and dirty. I don't get how a guy like Marcus Morris is getting more defense for him playing dirty then respect that Luca is getting for his outstanding play and to be quite frank bro it's just complete bs.
1: Yeah, what bothers me about this whole situation is that he doubled down after the first situation, which was he stepped on Luca's injured ankle and which was very obvious, very clear that it was intentional. If you don't agree with that, just go look at the footage. There was no reason he needed, there was so much open floor. And I understand that defensively, you have the right when they inbound the ball to be right there, okay? However, there was just no reason for him to be there. There was, there was so many other places on the floor he could have been standing. He could have still been on that side of the court, but he didn't need to be right there. And if you look at how he stretches his leg, it's very clear that it was intentional, especially since him and Luka had a history in this series, drawing back and forth. If if both of those players we're just being competitive on the court, then I wouldn't have said this was intentional because I would have said there's no prior history. You know, they're just jawing back and forth. There hadn't been any any physical contact or anything that looked intentional or legal. But Luka had been putting it on not only Marcus Morris, but the Los Angeles Clippers. And they were frustrated because you have the best roster in basketball, bar none. And you go six games to an inferior Mavs team and they're far inferior to the Clippers roster. And you're getting worked by a 21-year-old. Absolutely worked without poor Zingas, and he's injured. If there wasn't any prior issue or animosity or heat between these two guys, then I would have said, you know what, I'll give Marcus the benefit of the doubt. Also, if Marcus Morris wasn't the type of player or had the reputation in the league as a guy who was really an enforcer, okay, He had a decent year this year with the New York Knicks. Ends up getting traded to the Clippers. He was averaging almost 20 points a game. So he was having a breakout year for himself. But prior to that, he was just an enforcer. He was a guy that was going to jaw, talk trash, be physical, send a message. Which, look, I know that in today's NBA, there really isn't a ton of physicality. A lot of the older generations can't stand it because in the 90s and the 80s, it was very physical. Okay, now everything's a foul. There's no physicality in the game anymore. And so I understand that, but, and and I'm, and I'm all for physicality, but there's also a way to go about that, okay? And so when I look at even the Jordan situation against the Detroit Pistons, it's funny how back then, even in a physical era, people were saying, okay, this was literally like fighting, like they were trying to assault him, okay? They even felt like it was way too far. So don't misconstrue my message. I'm not saying that being physical shouldn't be in the league, but this is past physicality. Okay. Marcus Morris doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. He has a history, a long track record of being this type of player. And it was very evident that he was frustrated. And so the other thing that frustrates me, not only are people defending Marcus Morris, they're trying to say Luca initiated it. If you look at the play, Luca doesn't even lower his shoulder. He extends his left forearm to create space, which if you watch basketball, Everybody, I if mean...
0: that's the case, James Harden should get in a fight eight times a
1: game because he does it every time he drives to the basket. Absolutely. Not only James Harden, but let's just even stay within this series. Kawhi Leonard does it almost every single time he drives to the basket. And he gets... He, there's a foul called on him almost every single time he drives to the basket and does that. Look, to say that he initiated or instigated this situation is absolutely ignorant. And so... When I look at this and I see a guy like Marcus Morris not go for the ball, but bring a club over the shoulder of Luka Doncic and club him across the face. And then when Luka gets up, he wants to continue jawing at him, which I don't know what was said. I don't know the dialogue between the two. But what I do know is that he had no remorse for the situation. Absolutely none. And so the Clippers are moving on. Had they not been... I honestly think Marcus Morris would have had a different press conference because in the postgame presser, he said basically that he's a great player. I wasn't intentionally trying to hurt him. And you know what? I don't believe it one bit. But getting into my pick of the day, sticking with Luka Doncic, many of you might not know this story, but this is pretty wild. And during the 2018 NBA draft, we all know Luka Doncic got drafted by the Atlanta Hawks, but then was traded for Trey Young. Which Trey Young was drafted by the Mavericks. So they basically swapped guys. I know that the I know that the Hawks ended up getting a first round pick in addition to Trey Young. However, we had this talk, what, two or three episodes ago? Actually, probably more like four or five. And we talked about the teams that passed up on Luka Doncic and how much they'll regret it going forward. Well, this one's bigger than both the Phoenix Suns and the Atlanta Hawks. So supposedly Dan Gilbert the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers could have had Luka Doncic. The Atlanta Hawks offered to swap picks in exchange for taking Kent Bazemore's hefty $18 million contract. They turned down the offer to draft Colin Sexton, their point guard. Okay, look. This is why I've always been hypercritical of the Cleveland Cavaliers organization and Dan Gilbert. Because you had a arguably the best talent ever in LeBron James. You have him for... Seven years, he leaves because you won't bring anybody around him to help build that team to make a run at a championship, even though he carried that team to the finals in 07. Then he comes back. You finally bring, well, you drafted Kyrie, so he was homegrown. You had, already had him on the roster. Then you bring a guy over like Kevin Love, and you actually win a chip. Then you had the chance to get basically, it's weird even saying this, a poor man's version of LeBron. But I'm only saying that because Luka's just never going to be the physical specimen of LeBron. But you had a chance to get a generational talent, a guy who could have carried your friend. I mean, it would have been like going from when when the Indianapolis Colts went from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck. That's what it would have been like for the Cleveland Cavaliers.
0: Bad teams always take bad contracts for draft picks. It's what every team does. Like the Nets have historically, before they got Durant and Kyrie, taken people's bad contracts to get draft picks. Like taking two or three-year deals for $25 million a year because you're not going to win if you can actually acquire something for it. This It's like the only way you can get better in essence, right? You're like, I'll take that contract to get a draft pick so I can possibly get talent through the draft because no free agent's going to sign here. To me, what it shows is how bad, and we, we've known this, how bad Cleveland is at evaluating talent. I mean, they took Anthony Bennett number one overall. Like... Kyrie Irving fell in their lap because Kyrie Irving was arguably the best point guard prospect for like the past five to 10 years when they had that draft pick. So you couldn't mess that up. But I mean, this team took Anthony Bennett. Like you can't, it shouldn't surprise anyone because they probably thought, Oh, Luko's Hito, Turkulu." Like that's probably what they thought. They're probably like, Oh, he's kind of good at a few things. Never going to be great at anything they probably never had scouts go out and watch him because they don't make good basketball decisions. I mean, they, were, they had a chance when LeBron was in Cleveland the first time to trade J.J. Hickson for Amari Stoudemire, and they said, we like J.J. Hickson. Well, you know why J.J. Hickson looked good? Because he was playing alongside LeBron James. Well, yeah, absolutely. He goes to Portland after that, and he's out of the league in three years. Like, Dan Gilbert has no idea what he's doing. He's arguably the worst owner in all of sports. Like, you could make a case that he's worse than Dolan. Like, I legit think you can make a case that he's worse than Dolan. And Dolan's absolutely horrific, but the the difference between him and Dolan is Dolan doesn't get great talent in there and then have it leave.
1: He can't even acquire the talent in the first place. He, he
0: can't get the talent, right? But when you look at the Cavs situation, they've consistently been luckier They've probably been the luckiest poor run organization in the history of sports. You get LeBron James, you get Kyrie Irving, you get the talent that comes with getting LeBron James, where you get a a trade for Kevin Love. Historically, when you're bad, you get really lucky with lottery picks. Like they had three, they had a number one pick in like five years, like two or three of them in a five year span. They were given opportunity. They had Wiggins, they had Bennett, they had Kyrie Irving. And now you look at that roster, you have Kevin Love and a whole bunch of guys that nobody knows about.
1: Yeah, and that draft, if you you go back and look at the 2013 NBA draft, which was when Anthony Bennett was taken number one overall, I understand that Giannis wasn't the player that he is today, okay? But Giannis was the 15th pick in that draft. So a lot of teams pass on him. But could you imagine had their scouting department said, hey, this guy, if he pans out, is going to be a two-time MVP candidate, Defensive Player of the Year, okay? Giannis goes 15th. But let's just talk about guys – higher up in the draft. I mean, they could have just taken but Victor Oladipo, though. Yeah.
0: Like, just take Victor Yeah, Lodipo. Victor Oladipo,
1: who went the next pick to Orlando. But even, even then, right? It's like, okay, maybe he's not, in your opinion, or the right fit schematically for your team. But they had guys like Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who's a starter for the Lakers right now, who's not a star, but he's at least in the NBA. Anthony Betts is not even in the NBA anymore. Ben McLemore, who comes off the bench as a, as a streaky scorer for the Houston Rockets. Another decent... Then you have guys like CJ McCollum, starting two guard for the Portland Trailblazers, perennial all-star, Steven Adams. I mean, the list goes on, right? So so you you got lucky with Kyrie Irving because that was, that was a no-brainer. He was hurt. He played, what, a game at Duke or two games at Duke and then got hurt? So the fact that he was the runaway number one pick and basically didn't play in college showed you that it didn't matter who was getting the number one pick. They were going to take Kyrie. So look... I don't know what to say about this. It just seems like Cleveland sports, other than the Indians, they seem to be a well-run organization, but the Browns are so poorly run. Then you have the Cleveland Cavaliers. This this is just so baffling to me. But coming up on the pod today, we're going to get into the second round of the NBA playoffs. So I know that we're not fully into that round, but we've got Boston Toronto, who just started the second round yesterday. And we've got a few games or a few series that are going to close out. Obviously, we know that the Lakers are into the second round. They just closed out their first round series with the Portland Trailblazers. And then you also have Houston, who's on the verge of closing out OKC. So they would match up against the Lakers. And then Denver, Utah, we all know game six last night. Denver was able to pull off and force a game seven. So the winner of that series is going to play the Clippers. And then we know as well today, the Miami Heat are going to face off in the second round game one against the Milwaukee Bucks. Did you hear that Vegas is favoring the heat over the bucks?
0: I didn't know Vegas subscribed to the DNC podcast. I was looking through I was looking through a rating yesterday and I was like, I don't see anyone from Vegas on the betting front listening to the podcast, but maybe they do. Maybe they have a burner account like Kevin Durant. But in all honesty, Miami is a horrible. I mean, horrible matchup for the Bucks. You look at Chris Middleton, second leading scorer for Milwaukee, and he's a guy who consistently underperforms in the postseason. I think Shaq always says, if you give me 20 in the regular season, I need 25 in the postseason. If you give me 25 in the regular season, I need 30 in the postseason. Well, Chris Middleton is the opposite. He gives you 21 in the regular season every year, but then drops to 15 in the playoffs. If you can only average 15 points a game versus the Magic, you're going to have an issue with Miami because you're putting Jimmy Butler on Chris Middleton, and that is a horrible matchup for Chris Middleton. You have Bam inside who, because of his strength and physicality, is honestly a tough matchup for Giannis as well because all of Giannis's game is in the paint, and Bam athletically can run the floor with him, so it's going to limit Giannis in transition And then you look at the depth of Miami. They have shooters everywhere. Here's what I think it comes down to. The Bucs were 30 and five at home, but we're playing in the bubble. So it doesn't matter. You look at a team like Miami and they're really, really young. But to them, this is like an open gym environment. You don't, you're not affected by the crowd noise. You're not affected by the travel and the Bucs for a large part. They just played better at home. They kind of struggled once they got to the bubble. They didn't play good in the seeding games. Obviously, they pretty much had the number one seed lock, but they played poorly. And then even versus Orlando, they lose a first game, and they won the series based upon talent, but Chris Middleton didn't really look good. Giannis looked dominant, but again, he's, he's playing the Magic, who don't have anyone athletically that can match up with him. I really like the Heat in this series. I want to pick them in five. I feel like that's slightly aggressive, but... I th- I think the Heat win this series decently easy. Like I think they're gonna win, and the games may look closer than they actually are. But I th- I th- I think Miami runs away with the series. I'm gonna say Miami in six. But I think the Bucks are really gonna be exposed this season, and it's gonna be really interesting to hear the narrative on Giannis next year, where he won MVP last year, he wins Defensive Player of the Year this year. There's a chance he wins MVP. And if you lose to this Miami team that a lot of people didn't pick to make the playoffs in the preseason, don't even make the Eastern Conference Finals in a year where you kind of should blow through the playoffs because you look at the Celtics, they're still young. You look at the Raptors, they have depth, but no dominant player on that team. It's going to be really interesting this
1: offseason when Miami upsets the Bucs. You know, a few podcasts back, you said something about Giannis leaving and you've said it to me many times over the years that Giannis was going to leave. And I, and I said, you know, if it was anybody else, I would, I would agree with you, but I always felt like, and it wasn't because Giannis had publicly come out and said, Hey, I don't want to leave Milwaukee. I'm a loyal guy. They drafted me. They gave me the opportunity. I want to bring a championship to Milwaukee. And I respect that. Look, it's so rare nowadays due to both the front offices in in sports, not being loyal to the players and vice versa. But I thought, you know what? This guy has had a tough life. It's an amazing story. The way he grew up, his loyalty, I figured he's going to stick with Milwaukee through thick and thin, okay? Because they they, they gave him a shot to fulfill his dream. And to his credit, he's developed and worked on his game enough to then win an MVP, probably win a second in a row, be the defensive player of the year this year have the number one record in the NBA, be the one seed in the East. I give him all the credit for wanting to be that guy. However, this is the first time where I've felt like if they lose this series, I now feel like there's an even greater chance that he leaves Milwaukee because he's now gonna win two MVPs. You remember LeBron, right? So he wins his first MVP in 2009. He leaves the following season to Miami, right? But with Giannis, he'll have two under his belt with a defensive player of the year, when you get to that point, you're, you're now not really motivated. I wouldn't say that might not be the right word, but let's say you're less motivated to win an MVP. You've won two, right? To win more would be great. However, you're now at that stage in your career where you're like, I want to win a ring. And that's all that matters. And not that he didn't feel that way or doesn't feel that way currently. But when you're a young player, you want to cement your legacy. And winning an MVP or two You're cementing your individual legacy and then adding rings to that makes you an all time great. And so when I look at this situation, I'm going, this matchup's really bad for Milwaukee. And if they lose this series, so they're going to get bumped in the second round, not even getting to the Eastern Conference finals as the number one record in the NBA, number one record in the Eastern Conference and the one seed. And you're losing to a team that preseason wasn't even picked to make the playoffs. It's just, it's a really bad look. And 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 I think you laid it out perfectly. With Bam at a bio, even though he's an undersized center slash power forward, but he plays the center position for the Heat. He's so athletic. He has great footwork. Him against Giannis in transition is going to be really fun to watch. But even still, I look at I look at their team and I go, Jimmy Butler, gonna be a problem defensively. Bam, gonna be a problem defensively. Then I look at guys like Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn. And I'm like, these guys can shoot. And that's going to be a problem for Milwaukee because Milwaukee defensively, even though they're elite, you have guys like Giannis, you have guys like Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe. These guys are really good defenders. But Miami's so deep that when those guys are not on the court, who's going to guard those guys? And so I think this is the worst matchup Milwaukee could have ever had. They would have loved, absolutely loved to play anybody other than Miami in the second round. and. I see this going six as well, because I think Giannis, he's so dominant physically that even though I said this about Joel Embiid, I figure, hey, you can at least pull out one to two games just based on that. But I, I just don't see where, unless Miami goes cold turkey, shooting the three, their mid range game goes cold transition, Milwaukee somehow slows or stops them. I, it, there's got to, there's a lot of factors here that have to go wrong for Miami to lose this series, so I, I honestly can't wait for this one. But I just don't I don't foresee Milwaukee pulling this one off.
0: So the other series in the Eastern Conference tipped off last night, where we had the Celtics Raptors. Celtics won pretty handily. My biggest takeaway was Pascal Siakam really struggled for the Raptors, and they need him to be dominant, not good, but dominant to win this series. But just like I said, for Miami, what I think is awesome for the Celtics in this series is playing in the bubble and they're not being a crowd factor because you look at their best players, Tatum and Brown, and they're young and they're inconsistent at times and they're both going to have to step up. To me, it's going to come down to Marcus Smart and if he can continue to keep pressure on Lowry and Van Fleet. If he can do that, I think Celtics can close this series out in six. I know Toronto's had a really good regular season. I finally gave them credit about two or three podcasts back, but the Celtics have so much talent, arguably one of the most talented rosters in the NBA. They just have to be consistent. And you looked at last series and I know the 76ers were decimated by injuries, right? They had nobody but Joel Embiid out there. They're paying other guys on the roster like they were a superstar team, but really besides Joel Embiid, they had no one out there. I get that, but you still swept a team in the playoffs where your two young guys had to really set the tone and they did it consistently. They didn't struggle. We didn't have a bad Tatum game or a bad Jalen Brown game. They were consistent and there is the hiatus for three days in the NBA and so you think, oh, how are the Celtics going to react? The Raptors are the more veteran team, so... If anyone was going to win game one, most people probably would have picked the Raptors. And the Celtics were dominant from the opening tip, 39 points in the first quarter and never laid off. I I think they win this series. This could possibly be the coming out party for Jason Tatum, where he's going to say, hey, going forward, I'm going to be a top 10, 15 player in the league. And the Celtics Miami series potentially next is going to be really, really fun to watch.
1: Yeah, a lot of people, I think, are jumping down the throat of Toronto and saying this this series is over. They didn't show up. Boston's going to be too much for them. Maybe they sweep. Maybe they win in five. But look, Toronto is too experienced. They won a championship last year. A lot of people are already forgetting that. And I understand the impact and the effect of fans and how that's going to really help guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. But and even Kemba Walker, this guy's a veteran, but he's never really played in big time basketball games. At least in college, he did with UConn. But now in the NBA, he played his entire career prior to going to Boston and signing there. This off season, he played for the Charlotte Hornets, and they they were they got into the playoffs, but they got knocked in the first round. So, to me, for guys like that, who even though Kemba's a veteran, he's still a young playoff player, and so. Even though talent-wise, on paper, I like Boston in this series easily. However, Toronto defensively is very good. They have a lot of veterans on their team, guys like Marcus Sall, guys like Sergi Baca, guys like Kyle Lowry. And then you complement them with guys like Fred Van Vliet. Then you have Pascal Siakam, who was a breakout star this year, first All-Star game. And so, look, I think they're going to be fine. Boston probably still ends up winning this series, even though I've picked Toronto to make a run into the finals. But the way that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have been playing, they've really impressed me. I feel like they had some inconsistencies in the seeding games, but the only way that Toronto is able to pull this off is if both their guards, Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, can be elite shooting the ball, elite shooting the three, because Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry couldn't hit water from a boat yesterday. So if they can improve upon that in two through seven, if they can get to game seven, then they've got a real shot because defensively, I think they're a problem for Boston. And so look, I think people just overreact and they're like this, this series is over. Boston dominated them, but look, Toronto's been there and done that. Boston hasn't. So I still think Boston probably pulls this off in six or seven games be just simply because they have so much offensive talent, but Look, if those two guys go cold and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, this is going to be a problem for them. And so I'm excited to still watch the series because I think it's going to go deep.
0: So the Clippers series, regardless of who they play, I'm really confused on this one. I I knew the Nuggets and Jazz series, at least in my opinion. I had it going seven. I picked the Nuggets in seven. I thought it was going to be really competitive. But I didn't think it was going to be competitive in this way. I thought it was going to be more of a defensive battle where both teams are completely grinding it out and they're going to be 95, 97 games, not having multiple guys in a series go for 50 plus points. And so my thought is, well, can they keep it up? But it's only a seven game series. Both rosters are pretty young. If the Nuggets win tomorrow night and they close it out, I think the Nuggets beat the Clippers. I know the Clippers on paper have arguably the best roster in the NBA. You look at the series versus the Mavs, and I don't want to hear Paul George had an off series. And I really hope when Paul George came out at his press conference and said, hey, I'm struggling with being in the bubble and I'm really having anxiety. I hope that wasn't an excuse. For all the people that actually have that, because it's so convenient when you're getting paid $28 million a year, you've consistently not shown up in the biggest moments to finally have something you can potentially put as an obstacle and blame it on that. Versus taking accountability and just saying, yo, I've sucked. I got to play better. And you look at how the Nuggets are playing against Utah, and they are like absolute balling out. They have a lot of depth. So when you look at the Clippers, one of the things that's the biggest strength for the Clippers is they have Lou Williams and they have Montrezl Harrell coming off the bench. You look at the Nuggets, they have so many guys that play nine and nine out. One of the deepest rosters in all of the NBA. And they're playing hot where the Clippers, the Clippers beat the Mavs because the Mavs had nobody but Luka. Porzingis played what? Three and a half games. Still didn't look completely healthy when he was playing. And then after he gets out, the Mavs are like crap. Like they switched their lineups. They're starting lineups game four, five and six. Just trying to figure out what do we do? Because we're at such a disadvantage. And then, When all you have is Luka, it's really easy for your team to game plan against the Mavs, especially when you're going out there and assaulting him every time he drives to the basket. And so I realize everybody loves the Clippers. They still probably think, oh, well, they won game five and six pretty handedly, but they're not playing well as a team. If the Nuggets win tomorrow night, I have the Nuggets winning in five.
1: Wow. That is sizzling, my friend. However, if Denver does pull off this this miraculous comeback against Utah, and, and I picked Denver to win this series pretty handedly, actually. So it's gone longer than I thought it should have. And I give credit, look, I give credit to Donovan Mitchell because I've been pretty harsh about Donovan Mitchell. Not that I didn't think he was a good basketball player, but I was like, you know what? He's an undersized two guard who's very athletic and he can shoot the three. I'm like, I want him on my team. He's a good player, but people were talking about this guy like he was a superstar. And you know what? I'm gonna say this right now. I was wrong. I think he's emerged as a maybe a superstar in this league. Definitely a star, solidified star in this league but might be putting himself into that category as a superstar. I've been so impressed with his ability to not only – I've been very impressed with his shot-making ability. I've been impressed with his athleticism and his ability to get to the rack. Really, nobody can stop him once he gets into the lane. His ability to make the right basketball play. I saw several times in this series where he is going to the hoop, then dishes it to Gobert, kicks it out to a guy in the corner for a three, I saw this several times throughout this series and I went he's not just an athletic guy who can shoot the 3. He understands the game and he's still super young. He's going to get he's going to get even smarter from a basketball IQ standpoint. And so I give him massive credit. However, there's been no defense in this series. So I would be interested to see him go up against the Clippers, but I still want to see Denver because I think Denver has a way better shot. They're way deeper, even though they're super young, which is why I think this series has gone seven is because they're so young. But another guy who has emerged in this series is Jamal Murray. I mean, what an unbelievable talent. And last year I thought, he's very close to bursting onto the scene. He had some inconsistencies through the playoffs last year. They had two series that went seven games. They ended up losing in the second round to Portland and in seven, and they could have gone to the Western conference finals last year. And I thought with him and Jokic, they're both super young. This team's going to be good for a very long time. Then they get Michael Porter jr. For basically nothing because he fell in the draft should have been the number one overall pick he's going to develop. So they've got a great young core. And the fact that Jamal Murray before last night in two straight games, was he was he had scored 92 points total and then last night drops another 50 piece this guy's unbelievable so i would love to see denver play the clippers because i think it's a better matchup and i honestly think they would have the best shot i don't think utah has enough even though even though donovan mitchell's an incredible talent and he's really emerged onto the scene in this series i just don't think there's enough there joe ingles has played better than i thought he would Rudy Gobert is obviously defensively elite, but offensively, look, he can disappear in games. And so, Donovan Mitchell dropping 57 in a loss against Denver in game one kind of proved that, right? So, I hope that Denver gets through because I think the Clippers could sweep the Jazz. But either way, I've been super impressed. This has probably been my favorite series of the playoffs.
0: So the last series is Lakers versus Rockets or Thunder. It's looking like it's most likely going to be the Rockets advancing. In my opinion, and I'd love to hear yours in a second, I feel like this is as bad of a matchup for the Rockets as the Heat is for the Bucks. And let me explain myself for a second. Houston is extremely small. And because the NBA is so guard-driven, especially their matchup with OKC when you look at where their scoring comes from, It hasn't been an issue where when you look at the Lakers, their front court scores more than any other team in the NBA. You have AD and you have LeBron. And defensively, I don't know who guards them. Maybe you put PJ Tucker on AD and because he's quick and athletic, he can get in front of him. He can front him. He can try to keep him outside of the paint and really be physical with him. But there's nobody on Houston that can match up with LeBron. I I have no idea what you do with LeBron this series. And if you're a Rockets fan, you can make the same argument and say, well, what about Westbrook and what about Harden? And I'll say, well, what were people saying before Portland? Who's going to stop Lillard and who's going to stop McCollum? And granted... They're different players, right? Russ Brooks more explosive than either of those guys athletically. And Harden, in my opinion, is a similar type player like Damian where they're both phenomenal shot creators. Their handles are next level and their pull-up game is top five in the NBA. I love Harden. I've been a huge Harden fan ever since his time in Oklahoma City. I thought he was going to be an absolute star in Houston Never thought he was going to be this good, but thought he'd be talented. But we've seen Harden never quite be as effective in the playoffs. You just don't get as many foul calls. So much of his game is driven off his ability to get to the line. He's a great shot maker, but a lot of times the shots he takes, you're like, what are you doing? And then Sometimes they go in so you can live with it. If Houston's hitting their threes, it's going to be really competitive. But I just think you look at the Lakers, they get so many points in the paint. LeBron, after starting the series kind of slow against the Blazers, had three straight 30-point games. AD was really dominant. In my opinion, I would be shocked if Houston wins this series. I think the Lakers win pretty convincingly. Probably going to go five or six just because... Both teams are veteran teams that have played in the playoffs. Not the Lakers as far as a lot of playoff experience as the Lakers, but you look at LeBron, he's been in the playoffs every year for the past, 15 years minus last year. You look at AD, high-level player, played in the playoffs for the Pelicans, perennial all-star and then obviously both Harden and Westbrook respectively have been in the playoffs for a number of teams that they played for so I don't think the Lakers are going to sweep I think it's going to be competitive but I would be shocked if Houston found a way to upset the Lakers in this
1: series I gotta hold you accountable because you said few few episodes back if
0: the Lakers lose Houston wins the championship if the Lakers lose Houston wins the championship and you know what happened the Lakers won
1: okay However, I'll say this: if they, if they, if they did lose, right, then obviously they would have played Portland, which would have probably been a really bad matchup for Portland. Do you think that if Harden and that bench and Westbrook stays healthy, do you think there's a chance they can pull? Up I just the don't
0: know what you do with LeBron. It's so hard for me to go against LeBron because when you look at at least the last five years, What if you the forced- only time he loses is when he's playing Steph and Clay and Draymond and John Livingston and Durant and Iguodala. Like you're playing Hall of Famers, multiple Hall of Famers. And unless you have multiple Hall of Famers at every level, you're not beating him. And so I just, I don't know what you do with this guy. It seems like every year you're waiting for someone to take the throne from him. And I get he doesn't win the chip every year, but he's so dominant. I mean, he loses a final where he averages a 35 point triple double. Like the guy's just so dominant. That's just the question mark for me for Houston. Like they don't have a wing defender. You can't put, you're going to put Jeff Green on him? Sorry, but if you're going to put Jeff Green on LeBron James, I'm taking LeBron for 35, 10, and
1: 10. When I look at. Harden and Westbrook. If Westbrook is smart in this series and doesn't try to put up 15 threes and he focuses on his skill set, which is he's an elite finisher at the rim. And Harden can actually knock down his shots. The thing with Harden for me is that although I've said multiple times that he's an elite talent, there's there's really never been anybody like him in the NBA. And the one thing you said that was so important and so well laid out, was that his game is solely driven. The engine of his game is his ability to get to the line. And in this series, he's going to go up against tall trees. you got Dwight Howard, you've got JaVale McGee, and you've got Anthony Davis. Those three guys not only can be a problem for Westbrook, but be a problem for James Harden. And my thought process, if I'm Dan Toney, is... You make everybody else beat you but LeBron. You double LeBron. You make Anthony Davis beat you. You make Contavious Colwell-Pope beat you. You make Danny Green beat you. You make Alex Crusoe beat you. You make these guys beat you. And I know they got Rondo back, but I, I'm not concerned about Rajon Rondo. I understand what he can be for their locker room, but let's not get it twisted. Rajon Rondo is not going to give you 25 at night. So I think personally, we're looking at a series that I think can go one of two ways. I believe it can go 4 in the Lakers sweep or there's a chance this is a really competitive really competitive series. Now, I don't think the Lakers lose this series. I just think it could be very competitive. So, I think it I don't think there's gray area here. It's either black or white. It's either a sweep or it's very competitive and goes maybe 6. But it depends what it depends what AD I'm going to get. Well, I already know what I'm getting from LeBron. There's no question mark there. And then it also, the other question mark is their bench. What am I going to get from their bench? And if if Houston can knock down their threes and their bench can knock down their threes, this could get super interesting. But nonetheless, I can't wait for this one. I can't wait to see LeBron and Harden go at it. It's going to be a blast. Well, that's going to wrap things up for episode 33 of the DNC podcast. Again, thank you for tuning in Mondays and Fridays and supporting us. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends and family. We so appreciate it. Also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the DNC podcast. Be sure to give us any topic ideas or questions you might have that you would like to hear us talk about or answer on the show. We'll see you guys Friday.